is a very, very uh, crucial area of our, of our lives, of our practice. Um, it's always been very interesting to me that in the Buddhist tradition, uh, right speech or wise speech was one of the eight areas where we need to focus attention. And when I first heard that, I said, weren't they just doing silent meditation all the time? Why do they need wise speech? Well, if you actually read the old text, as probably some of you have done, you'll see that the monks and nuns were always being invited to dinner parties where there were many opportunities for unskillful speech. And actually, <laughs> actually that the Buddha uh, often had to deal with um, unskillful speech and conflict within some of the communities. So there were issues that were arising. And so I think the uh, speech practice being named as one of the eight basic areas um, attests to its importance. I think for us, we can see that, probably when reflecting on our experience, that um, speech can be so crucial. Words can be so crucial that a few words can lead to pain, can lead to difficulty, can lead to conflict. A few words can lead to war, right? certain kinds of words. There's, um, there's a cartoon from The New Yorker which um, brings that out. It shows a um, woman sitting on a couch and she's talking to what appears to be a police officer in front of her who's taking notes. He's standing up. Behind the couch there looks like there's kind of like a detective type figure there also are two legs and feet st- straight up, as it were, a body on the floor behind the couch. And the woman says to the police officer, he misspoke. I misheard. Then shots rang out. Is that familiar? <laughs> that a few words can very quickly uh, trigger us, bring us into pain, you know, especially with those we love, right? That we, we, know, we know what those triggers are often, right? And a few words can, can go there. We also know that a few words can... Um, be tremendously healing. That a few words when I am in pain or having some difficulties, a few words from another in which the other shows that he or she has understood me. And I don't feel isolated maybe in my own pain. Can change my mood for the next three days. That kind words and loving words or wise words can have tremendous impact, tremendous positive impact. So there is this capacity for our speech to go either way, to be a tremendous source of healing and power and comfort 
and for our words to also lead to conflict and pain and, and harm. Yeah. There's a, a Jewish, there was a Jewish uh, teacher of the 20th century, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was uh, both a mystic and a, an activist. He, some of you may know of him. He, he walked with Dr. King in Selma. And he had a, a phrase that he aspired, he said, towards holiness in words. Can you think of how would it be if your, if your words had almost a, like a sacred quality, if they came from a part of yourself which was uh, deep and resonant with your, your deeper truth? So there is that capacity for speech to go either way. So tremendously important. And I think particularly uh, important in another way for us in this culture that our speech practice, I think, uh, gives us a way, I mentioned this earlier, to actually have a strong sense of a mindfulness, wisdom, and heart practice that we can have operative many hours during the day. How many of you complain about only having 20 or 30 or 10 minutes to meditate every day? Anyone complain like that or find it difficult? How many find it difficult to have much time for meditation? Okay, you're at the right place. (laughs) When your speech becomes a form of meditation, how many hours do you have? Some of you have five or ten or more hours a day, right? And I do believe that it can be a rigorous practice. It can be a practice where we're present, where we're mindful, where we're acting out of a good heart, and yet it's a practice. It's something we need to work at, uh, to cultivate, and the day-to-day can only be a support for that. You know, it, it actually will take um, bringing it into daily life to make it real. But today can give hopefully some, some initial starts uh, and some um, core principles and basic practices. There are all these different areas that uh, we could focus on in terms of speech. Uh, we could focus on, uh, as we will, primarily on speech in the context of, of interpersonal interaction, maybe with one or two other people or maybe in a group. We also could say a lot, and I'll bring this in if it's an interest, we could say a lot about how to work with speech in the context of groups and organizations. It's very, very interesting, and I, I've been particularly interested in how to develop uh, group speech guidelines in organization and groups, and I've done, done a lot of work with that to help organizations, uh, and this could be, a, could be at the level of organization, a group, a family, a relationship. How do we, how do we find uh, shared agreements about speech that support our practicing? And we could also talk about larger speech in the uh, society. You know, I may bring in speech um, practice in the writing of emails. I think that's a form of communication, right? And um, some 
uh, chat groups actually have guidelines for wise speech. Relatively few of them. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, the internet seems to be a place where, um, how should we say? Uh, further training would be useful. <laughs> uh, and perhaps some of you can do that. You, know, you can bring speech. I mean, one thing that one can do is one can bring the principles of skillful speech into your places of work, into your families, as well as into your personal interaction. So I'm going to primarily focus on the personal interaction, and we can go when we have discussion to some of the larger contexts if we wish. Okay, so that being said, let me say uh, some about the first foundational area, and it will also, this will take us to a practice. We'll, we'll begin uh, practicing in just a little while. So in the teachings of the uh, Buddha, the, and this will be the focus of the, this first segment, the rest of the first segment, in the traditional teachings, we are given the teachings on right speech, or what I'm calling wise speech, primarily, in my interpretation, as a set of ethical guidelines, a way to um, be with others they're really ethical or behavioral guidelines for our speech. And I've reconstructed these as following four different principles. The first is to speak truthfully. So I'm calling the first principle truthfulness. The second is helpfulness. And this is on, I have these at the top of the handout, one of the handouts. You don't have to look at that, but just to know that you, you have it there. Um, so the first is truthfulness, the second is helpfulness, the third is um, coming out of a kind heart. And I, I should say right away that that sense of um, the sense of helpfulness and the sense of coming out of a kind heart can go hand in hand with saying something that's difficult or the other person might not want to hear, setting boundaries, being firm. So coming out of a kind heart doesn't mean being nicey-nice. Right? It's an important part that wise speech uh, is about connecting with the heart, but it's not about being a pushover. It's not about refraining from important, difficult things that need to be said. Whether, whatever level we're talking about, interpersonally, in a group, an organization, or socially. Okay, so really crucial. And how to, this is really the, the question, like how to keep the kind heart with those more difficult speech situations is a whole training area, difficult area. So truthfulness, helpfulness, coming out of a kind heart. And the fourth, we could hear on the handout, I call it clear intention. We could also call it appropriateness, the appropriateness of the speech, the um, in the text, the Buddha is often talking about uh, good timing and the importance of really asking, is, is, this, um, is this the right time? Which came up in one of the, one of the um, reflections on intentions. Can I speak this at the right time? So these are four areas. Now, 
How, let me say two things that can give a, a larger context. It's very important that in the teachings of right speech or wise speech, as I mentioned earlier, these are not isolated from the other aspects of the, of the path. In fact, part of what I think will characterize what I'll be offering today is that we're looking for an integration of actually some techniques for how to speak and some principles for speech. We're looking for an integration of those with other aspects of our practice. In other words, with mindfulness. Can I be mindful in the context of speech? The development of wisdom. What can wisdom say about this speech situation? With the development, with the practices that develop our awakened heart, that obviously the ability to have kind speech will be supported tremendously by practices which work to open our hearts. Right? And to actually be able to follow these guidelines will be helped tremendously by a lot of mindfulness. Some of it, like in one of the um, intentions was, how can I listen without reactivity? One of the starting points will be, can I be mindful when I'm starting to be reactive? Very, very crucial. So this embeddedness of skillful speech within a larger training program is really important. It's not isolated. We're not isolating speech. And one of the dangers, I think, of some of the approaches to speech practice, you know, perhaps like uh, some of you have practiced nonviolent communication. How many are familiar, some with nonviolent communication? So quite a few. And I, when we teach the six or seven day retreat, we integrate nonviolent communication with uh, much of what I'll be offering today. So I very much respect it, but if that, if that or other techniques for skillful speech are not integrated with mindfulness and wisdom, development of the heart and so forth, and it just becomes a technique, it can be limited. It can be limited and uh, actually can be... Um, and I, I've heard sort of a worst-case scenario is where people use different speech techniques. Like I've heard of worst-case scenarios in the nonviolent communication community where they use nonviolent communication skills to bolster egoistic uh, motivations. <laughs> Can you imagine? There, there's actually some wonderful spoofs on YouTube of this. <laughs> Maybe I can give you the reference later, you know, of two people talking with each other, you know, saying, yes, when you said that, when you said that, I was triggered. And I really would like you to pay the rent. <laughs> anyway, maybe we'll come back to that. So, but the point is that uh, the, the um, skillful speech is not just about technique. It's not just about doing, it's not just about speaking a certain way, but it's really about integrating our speech with the developments of our hearts, our awareness, and our wisdom. Really crucial point. Okay? And then, uh, in terms of these four guidelines, another really important aspect of them is that they all have to be there together. Let me come back to that point. Let me say a little bit about each of the four, and then we'll do a practice together. Okay, so the first is uh, truthfulness. And you can see, I think, on, on the handout, you know, there, there is a statement um, 
one of the quotes I give, you know, it lists a statement endowed with five factors, said the, says the Buddha, is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. Which five? It is spoken at the right time. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. Do you hear those four criteria there? Maybe we could say that the goodwill and affectionately is both about the kind heart. So he mentions five, but it, we could interpret it as four. You know, and you could read the, the other quote as, as, as very similar. So the first one of truthfulness is a very important um, guideline. And I should say that these are both ethical or behavioral guidelines. And they're also guidelines that help us be more mindful. Like if I take on the guideline of being truthful, helpful, coming out of a good heart, having good timing, and then I suddenly notice myself starting to say something untruthful, my mindfulness can track that and say, it's happening. (laughs) And can also ask, let me look in, what's there for me? Why do I need to not be truthful? Or what's going on for me that I'm feeling something else, right? So the, the guidelines are both, as it were, ways to ch- track and check our behavior, but they're also um, spurs for mindfulness. We can notice when we're starting to go into unskillful speech. So the first one, truthfulness, is about um, this commitment to being truthful. And I should say that all of the guidelines here are general guidelines. And if we were actually to try to unpack them in very specific situations, it would, it would get complicated. You know, like are there such, some situations where we shouldn't be 100% truthful and so forth? You know, these are general guidelines and there, there may be some places where we make an exception or two, but I'm not, I'm not so much interested in, in that right now. But it's a general commitment to being truthful in our speech, to not be lying. And it also, for many, many of us, we may not be engaging in direct lies at times, but we may be in the area that we sometimes call the gray area, which we can talk about as that of exaggeration, or half-truths, or omissions, or somehow not being truthful about some area or keeping it back, right? So there are a lot of those areas. And so when we take on that kind of guideline, we partly want to catch ourselves if we're starting to say something untruthful, but we also want to inquire to see are there half-truths, are there exaggerations, and bring that into, the, into our vision and bring mindfulness when we're starting to go there. What's that about? You know, one of the areas that that's very common is in the area of self-image. We may say things to others that try to bolster some self-image by exaggerating or not telling the truth. I know, you know, one example from my own experience is when I was a teenager, uh, I thought that my, uh, uh, my body wasn't quite right. I, probably a very unusual experience. Has anyone else had? 
Once a group of us compared notes and we didn't find anyone who as a teenager didn't think that one's body was not quite right. Of course, you know, we have all these images from wherever they come from, you know, of perfect bodies, right? And then we learn that the people with perfect bodies are tremendously tormented, right? <laughs> you know, that's, anyway, that's another story. Um, but for me, I thought that my feet were too big, my neck was too long, and my ears probably stuck out too much. You know, it could be worse things, but I found that you know it was hard to it was hard to camouflage my ears and my um, my neck. But I could tell when someone asked me what shoe size I wore. And people did that a lot more when I was a teenager than these days. I, I don't think I've been asked about my shoe size for. 30 years <laughs> Anyway, but as a teenager, I would always exaggerate downward. You know, I mean, I have no idea whether it mattered at all, but for me it mattered, right? And so I would have 11 and a half shoe, and I would say 11, and it made me feel better. <laughs> Do you know that psychology? Okay, so now as... Um, Again, and we may have our versions of them. Some may be more dramatic or more difficult. But in any case, what we can do with the first criterion is we can really look to look to see whether there's um, truthfulness, whether whether there's the exaggeration, and just to track that. And of course, we can also bring that. Um, we can ask about the truthfulness in a family, in an organization, and in a society, you know. And um, when I was uh, working on, I did a book which I brought out on the table, which has quite a bit on speech practice, which was called The Engaged Spiritual Life, and which is about the intersection of our inner work with our service and in- engagement in the world. And I, I found some very powerful quotations um, at the, at the time, one of the, um, there was a case that came up in the Supreme Court where the Solicitor General of the United States was um, rejecting a suit that had been brought against the uh, government by a woman named, some of you may know, Jennifer Harbury, whose husband had been tortured and killed, I think, in Central America. Right? And um, Olson gave an argument to the Supreme Court because Harbury was just wanting to basically know what happened. She just wanted to have clarity of what actually happened. And uh, the Solicitor General, this is a quote, warned the court to use utmost caution before interpreting the Constitution as guaranteeing citizens a truthful response to informal inquiries of the government. (laughs) He added that it was easy to imagine an infinite number of situations where government officials might quite legitimately have reasons to give false information. Okay, so just want to say that these criteria extend to any level we're looking at. And there can be problems in families, organizations, communities, you know, societies with the criterion of truthfulness. The second is helpfulness. <clears throat> and here we are wanting to ask, is my speech going to be helpful? Is what I'm saying going to be helpful? And what's really interesting here is we start to see that all of these have to go together. We can be extremely truthful, but not helpful. Do you know that? (laughs) 
we can be truthful with the intent to harm someone. You know, we can be truthful as a way of uh, getting back at someone. We can say something very, very truthful, but without the intention to be helpful. So we want to, so here we start seeing more of the depth of these guidelines, that they actually work together. So we develop um, the helpfulness. We want to really, and here again we use the mindfulness to say, if my speech isn't about being helpful, what's there for me? What's, my, what's going on with me if I don't want to be helpful? The third criterion is to speak from the heart. <clears throat> the Buddha used the word that was translated as affectionately to come from essentially a kind heart. You know, remembering again that we can be firm, we can have what in these days is sometimes called tough love, right? Again, it's not about being nice. But that we want to um, see about the, the harsh speech, which you, you talked about. We want to see what brings about that harsh speech or the sense of negativity or the reactivity. We want, to, we want to work with that. And this is a hard one, of course. You know, how to stay in the heart when we have difficult situations. We'll look more at that in the afternoon. How do we do that? You know, I think, I think it's, it's um, helped a lot by different kinds of training. You know, to really train in opening up the heart as part of it. To train in, maybe in practice situations, to be skillful, like role-playing. You know, to be, what do you do? And we, you know, when we do a longer retreat, we do about, probably about two days on just with difficult situations, and we do role plays. And maybe we'll, do, we'll see about some of that this afternoon, where we do role play, where, um, you know, we, I train someone else to be like my difficult boss. And the boss will speak to me in this way, and I get to practice my skillful speech in that difficult situation. How do we do that? You know, how do we, how do we bring the kind heart? And how do, we, how do we see that the kind heart is there? Um, a nice, one nice way it's said, there's a, let me see where this is. Um, something that I found that someone gave to me was, a, was a, um, a group of answers from four to eight year olds to the question of what does love mean? This is what Billy, age four, said. When someone loves you, the way they say their, your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. <laughs> right, so, how do we, how do we have a, how do we have a safe mouth, <laughs> so, so to speak? Uh, that, that's what this third criterion is about. And I wanted to tell another story that I was, um, that my mom told me when I was working on wise speech. Uh, she, uh, some of you know her, she, she comes to Spirit Rock quite often, and her name is Bernice, and she was at a, a lecture given by a man named Robert Lifton, who was actually one of my college professors. He was a wonderful man, involved a lot with human rights, a psychiatrist, who did some really groundbreaking work on uh, what was called uh, psychic numbing, was one of the areas he worked in, of really connected with trauma and how to recover from that. And he was at a, she was at a lecture that he gave, and then they came to the question time, and um, someone asked a question, and it seemed clear to most people there that uh, this person did not understand at all what was said. 
there was kind of a collective groan came over the audience. Everyone was waiting for Robert Lifton to speak back, um, you know, to correct her, say, you know, that's not what I meant, right? And to maybe even have a snappy tone. And what my mom remembered, and this was 10 years after it happened, she remembered this. She said, he spoke to her with a lot of kindness to this person who had asked this question. He really met her. He said, oh, yeah, I really see how you could, uh, uh, how you went there. How, you know, I really see where, where you came up with the idea. And it's really important, you know, and he really connected with her. And he somehow also brought it around to what he actually did say without uh, being negative to her. And my mother, 10 years later, those 10 seconds of kindness were what came to mind when she thought of kind speech, right? And so kind words can really have that impact, can really have that power. And the fourth area I could call collectively could be appropriateness of speech. If you look in the text, sometimes it's cautioning against distracted speech. Sometimes they talk about refraining from gossip, which I think is more gossip in the sense of distracted speech, not necessarily gossip in the sense of, you know, local information, (laughs) which I think is not necessarily a problem, but more in the sense of distracted speech, which could easily go into one's negative tendencies, right? That's why that seemed to be a problem. And so um, there are these different aspects of appropriate speech. The most important one is really timing. And so um, it's really to ask, how is my timing? Am I getting into speech which is distracted? What's my intention for this speech? Again, not to be, to be too closely monitored, but really to ask, what's my motivation for the speech right now? Why am I speaking? Why am I talking about this or that? You know, am, I get, am, I, am I just rambling for no particular helpful purpose? Again, there's a thin line between rambling and creativity. <laughs> you, you know, so uh, I think there's some, you know, there's some place for just speaking. I think if the other three guidelines are there, might be okay. But really, it's really to add, I think we know when we're just having distracted speech or speech that's going into negative territory. That's really what it's asking about. And also especially about timing. Because the interesting thing is timing is so crucial. And we can have uh, tremendous truthfulness, wonderful motivation to be helpful, come out of a beautiful heart and have bad timing and everything's a total mess. <laughs> right? So we want to check. We want to track for that. Okay? So, okay. So how to practice this? How to practice with this? We can do it in a few different ways. Um, I once worked with a group on uh, skillful speech for six months. We were meeting every two weeks and we met for six months and we worked with the guidelines about uh, one a month. You can do that. You can say, after today, I'll work with one guideline a week and really focus on it. Because what I'm giving you today could be a, a six-month curriculum. You know? But that's one way to do it. You can work with one of the criteria a week and really focus on it so it becomes familiar. You can do things like um, uh, something I've often done is I write down the guidelines when I'm at a meeting. And I do mindfulness practice at a meeting. 
tracking what's going on, you know, and working with those guidelines and trying my best, you know. And, uh, I remember one time I was doing that and at the beginning of the meeting I was saying, contented, meeting going well, <laughs> mindful, present, good heart. And then, you know, like three hours later, um, getting tired, irritable negative thoughts developing. <laughs> <laughs> But I was tracking them, right? And I knew, with the, and the guidelines were helping me to do that. The guidelines were helping me to say, this speech situation is a practice time, right? So you can do that. You can, I still have something from that six month period where I wrote the four guidelines next and put them on the wall next to my telephone. And I would often, I don't do this now, but for quite a number of months, I would, a telephone would ring and I would say, truthful, helpful, good heart, good timing, hello. <laughs> really, you can do that. Another person would um, uh, write down the four guidelines before difficult conversations with her teenage daughter. And she'd have it, and she'd be looking at the guidelines right as she was having a difficult conversation. Right? can use all sorts of creative ways like that. Okay, let's do... Um, let's do an exercise now. We'll do this uh, with uh, um, one other person. So find a person maybe right next to you. Um, form, into, form into a pair. Introduce yourself. And await further instruction. Anyone not have a partner? Okay, raise your hand if you need a partner. Raise your hand if you need a partner. Okay, does everyone have someone? Okay, everyone okay? Okay, there's someone. You need a partner in the back? Okay. If we have an odd number of people, you can join a group of two, okay? So everyone has someone? Okay, so let's uh, just take a moment, a quiet moment now, and reflect on this question. How would I like to develop further in my speech practice? You might just think of two or three things. How might I like to develop better in my speech practice? Or how would I like to develop in my speech practice? do is we'll have a chance for each person to speak for three minutes 
with one with uh, one person speaking and one person just listening, and then we'll switch back. Okay. Now, what I'm going to ask you, what we'll be doing a lot in our exercises today, is we'll be combining attention to both content and process. Another way to say that is we'll be focusing on the words and what's being said, but we'll also be focusing on how we are in the process of listening or speaking. In other words, and that, that'll be something we'll look at throughout the time, because that's hard. That's really a capacity we have to develop, because one of the difficult things about speech is, and a speech is practice, is that sometimes all we do is focus on the content and our behavior can go out the window easily, right? Because we get so focused on the content. So one of the capacities we'll be developing all day is the capacity to, in a sense, focus in two ways. To focus, in a sense, both on the uh, content and on the process. Sometimes focusing on the process will be to keep some attention inward. Sometimes it will be to attend to uh, how one is speaking and so forth. So very, very crucial capacity, not easy capacity, right? Because we have so many years of getting so preoccupied by content that we lose sight of the process. And of course, when we lose sight of the process, all sorts of things can happen, right? That's partly what we're talking about. Okay, so is that so the process here that I'd like you to attend to is I'd like you to think of one or two of those guidelines, truthfulness, helpfulness, good heart, and uh, timing. Let's assume that timing is okay. Okay? <laughs> um, for the most part. And what I'd like you to do is maybe you want to focus, let me kind of come with as kind a heart as I can for this interaction. Or it could be, uh, let me try to be helpful and come from a kind heart. Something like that. Work with one or two of those guidelines. Maybe you can, and you'll be uh, both a listener and a speaker. And so you can do, you can work with the same guideline for both. If I choose, I want to have as kind a heart as I can, I can try to be, when I listen, because we won't be saying anything, you'll just be listening for three minutes, I can try to be empathic, okay? and really listen to the person. And then when I speak, I'll try to come from my heart, something like that, whatever that means for you. Okay? So that's the process, is, is bringing in one or two of the guidelines. The content is, if you're a speaker, it's just saying how you might want to develop. And if you're a listener, it's just listening to that. Okay? And if you want sometimes in your speaking to pause, if you feel you're getting too much into the content and you just want to stop for a moment, that's fine. Okay? And I'll time you. It'll be about three minutes uh, for, and then I'll, I'll let you know with about 30 seconds left to, that we're, we're going to finish. Okay? So, clear enough instructions? Any questions about the instructions? I'll let you know when to switch. I'll, I'll do the timing. So we'll do... We'll do three minutes one person, then we'll switch three minutes other, and then I'll maybe have about three minutes just to talk with your partner about how that was. Something like that, okay? Okay.
Um, okay, now another tool that we'll use is intention. So what I'll have you do is set your intention for how you're going to connect content and process. Maybe do that right now and I'll ring the bell for us to start in about 15 seconds. So we'll, we'll also bring in this, pal- this factor of intention, this remembering what I want to do. Okay? So set your intention now and I'll ring the bell to start in about 10 seconds. Oops, I forgot. <laughs> sorry, sorry. In each group, we need someone to go first. <laughs> A key point, forgotten. <laughs> okay, raise your hand if you're willing to go first. There should be one, one in each group. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry, sorry for that. Okay. Okay, now we'll go back to the 10 seconds, okay? So you can set your intention if you're a listener this time, it'll be a little different than if you're a speaker. Okay? Set your intention as a listener or a speaker. Okay? And I'll ring the bell to start in 10 seconds. Okay.
Um, about 30 seconds. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.